This is Made in Montana News on the Treasure State Radio Network. I'm Jay Scott. The State Department of Environmental Quality has rolled out its public comment period for Montana's newest Regional Haze Implementation Plan. It will be submitted to the Environmental Protection Agency for later comment and approval. The 323-page plan outlines how Montana aims to clear skies diminished by emissions sources like industry, oil and gas works, wildfires, on- and off-road vehicles, and other out-of-state and foreign sources. Rhonda Payne, an air quality planner for the DEQ, says the state overall is projecting reductions through 2028 in nitrogen oxide emissions by 40% and sulfur dioxide emissions by 21%. Both are precursors to visibility-impairing particles and other air quality issues. Quote, we are on track to meet these goals in 2028. Overall, the state's haze reduction plans through 2028 remain relatively simple and largely coincide with general state and federal efforts to reduce air pollution. Statewide, now-retired coal-fired power plants played a major role in the planned reductions. Some have closed, all in eastern Montana. Otherwise, Payne says, Montana's new plan relies largely on enforcing existing federal and state air quality controls and programs. Statewide, from 2002 to 2017, nitrogen oxide emissions decreased by 47%. Sulfur dioxide declined 62%. Volatile organic compounds declined 28%. And levels of particulate matter declined 12% according to the plan. The Bureau of Indian Affairs announced Monday a series of reforms for tribal correctional facilities it oversees after the deaths of 16 inmates. The review and reforms come after an NPR story last year on the deaths in tribal jails. The Bureau of Indian Affairs operates about a quarter of the 100 correctional facilities under its umbrella. Tribes operate the others under contract with the BIA. At least 16 inmates reportedly died in those facilities. Senator John Tester of Montana, who sits on the Senate Indian Affairs Committee, said Monday he's reviewing the reforms to ensure the federal government upholds its responsibility to Indian country under treaties and other acts. The more than two dozen reforms some of which have been put into place already, include policy changes to enable investigators to respond more quickly to in-custody deaths and report about those investigations monthly to the Office of Justice Services. Other reforms focus on training and working with other federal agencies to define the roles of investigators and their roles in health care. The media outlet said poor staff training and neglect led to several inmates' deaths. NPR also found violations of federal policy that meant correction staff didn't check on inmates in a timely manner, and about one-fifth of correction officers hadn't completed basic training. Government watchdog groups 
congressional testimony, and other advocates have raised similar concerns for years. The 127-page report found evidence of employee misconduct, falsified reports, and shoddy investigations by the BIA and the FBI. The review also found some employees in tribal jails weren't properly trained and lacked supervision. A Beatty Gulch property owner has filed suit asking the annual bison hunt near Yellowstone National Park be stopped. Bonnie Lynn, founder of Neighbors Against Bison Slaughter, owns two cabins in a condominium across the Yellowstone River, just across the road from where the annual hunt happens. She says in her lawsuit against federal defendants, including the National Park Service, that she's scared she or her family could be hit by flying. Quote, we believe in hunting for sustenance and for meat, but the hunting here has stepped over the line to threaten the safety and peace of the neighborhood. The hunting creates a public safety hazard, risks the lives of the neighbors and their property, and upsets our way of life, Lynn says in the lawsuit. The hunt has grown over the years, far exceeding the 85 bison initially approved for hunting each year. Now the government allows the killing of 486 bison per year, all in a quarter-square-mile area at the mouth of Beatty Gulch. Montana Fish and Wildlife admits that, quote, occasional bullets can threaten resident safety or damage their homes. That's according to the complaint, but it didn't move or restrict the annual bison hunt in response to complaints of residents who live only a few hundred yards from those hunting areas. The government says the hunt is necessary, in part, to prevent bison from infecting cattle with brucellosis, a disease accidentally imported from Europe that causes spontaneous abortions in cows. No such case of such infection has ever been documented. Instead, transmission comes from elk. They're allowed to roam freely in the area. On Friday, lawyers for Lynn asked a three-judge Ninth Circuit court panel to issue deadlines for a revised analysis under the National Environmental Policy Act. She also asked to halt bison hazing until the analysis is complete and to ban bison hunting within one mile of the homes in Beatty Gulch. Lynn's attorney, Matt Trudeau, said the government has promised a revised plan before but has never delivered one. He asked the court to impose a two-year deadline. He continued, I just want to remind the court that there are real-world impacts in this case. My client is 78 years old, and she has waited 10 years for this 10-minute argument. She suffered real-world impacts, including hundreds of bison being killed on her doorstep in her neighborhood, bullets coming across the road in front of her home and her neighbor's home, guts across the landscape. This concentrated hunt in a few acres of land in front of her property has gone on for 10 years without any analysis, without any public comment. The agencies have done whatever they wanted. Again, that's according to the suit. John Meyer, an attorney for Cottonwood Environmental Law Center, says, quote, The truth is there are already huge safety issues. There are people shooting across roads. 
There are people shooting near houses. Millions of bison used to roam across the state of Montana. Today, we have fewer than 6,000 in a tiny area right outside Yellowstone National Park. Arguing for the federal agency's attorney, Erica Krantz disputed the idea that the government might drag its feet. Two allegations of voter fraud in Phillips County are not indicative of widespread election insecurity, but instead reinforce the dependability of current election systems. That's according to two Montana political scientists. The charges came to light after a series of conflicting and erroneous reports from the Secretary of State's office. It originally reported in a news release that the women at the center of the charges were arrested and pleaded guilty. Secretary of State Christy Jacobson's office subsequently changed the release to indicate that the women had pleaded not guilty. Quote, People have looked so hard for voter fraud and found so little. This case should reassure people that our elections are already run with so much security and integrity. That's according to Jeremy Johnson, Associate Professor of Political Science at Carroll College. Given the small scale of the election, it's unlikely that this is a case of malicious manipulation of the voting system in the way Republicans have been alleging in recent years. That's according to Paul Pope, an Associate Professor of Political Science at Montana State University Billings. Quote, usually instances of voter fraud have minimal impact on the election. He continued, if this were a countywide election, it probably would not be enough to change the election. He continues, I am almost certain the election officials dropped the ball in this case, and situations where this kind of fraud happened are incredibly rare, practically a unicorn. Both professors said cases of voter fraud in the county and Montana are almost non-existent, a point demonstrated by Phillips County Sheriff Jerry Lytle, who told Lee newspapers this was the first time he had cited someone for voter fraud in his 18 years as sheriff. Quote, most of these kinds of cases don't even result in charges because they're usually flagged before it gets to this point, and it can be corrected. According to reports from the Daily Montanan, the votes cast by the women were counted in a nonpartisan municipal mayoral race in Dodson, that's a town of about 100 people, where the incumbent mayor defeated a challenger 21 to 19. The same records show the registrations have since been canceled. While voter fraud cases may be rare, Johnson says the issue has been used by Republicans to justify narrowing voting opportunities. Quote, we've heard so many worries about voting fraud from Republicans. I don't think they're going to stop talking about it. He continues, so much discussion in recent years about voting fraud is totally separated from the actual facts on the ground. There has been so much scrutiny and it is so rare. Professor Pope says the case proves we have plenty of election security. The level of voter fraud is not even one quarter of one percent nationwide. A post-election audit conducted in 2020 by former Republican Secretary of State Corey Stapleton found no evidence of widespread fraud in Montana elections. However, with GOP support, the legislature passed a number of laws regulating elections, 
restricting ballot collection efforts, ending same-day voter registration, and limiting political activity on college campuses. A Lewis and Clark County District Judge ruled last week that the provision in Senate Bill 319 that limited political activity at colleges was unconstitutional. Nearly $700,000 were wagered on the Super Bowl this last past weekend between the Cincinnati Bengals and the L.A. Rams through SportsBet Montana. According to the Montana Lottery, players wagered a total of just under $696,000, averaging just under $24 per bet. Payouts totaled just under $428,000, a payout percentage of 61.5. The Rams and Bengals spread had Los Angeles at four and a half points before the game started. The final score was a three-point difference. Total bets this year increased 41% compared with the 2021 Super Bowl between Tampa Bay and Kansas City. However, the total payout decreased 10.5%. The Our Redeemers Lutheran Church, the City of Helena, and local nonprofits are working towards making several acres of open land owned by the church the center of a major affordable housing partnership. Gretchen Crum, a project architect with Mosaic Architecture, is working with the church and its partners, looking at what it would take to develop just under 10 acres of affordable housing. They began working with local organizations, including the Helena Area Habitat for Humanity, Rocky Mountain Development Council, and the YWCA in Helena. The land under consideration is mostly west of the church between Green Meadow Drive and Obsidian Avenue. The current proposal is to set some land aside into a trust. The partner organizations would then place several types of affordable housing there. The latest plans call for about 130 units. Crum says Rocky would bring in 78 rental units, Habitat would build 33 homes for their family buyers, and the YWCA would create transitional housing. The city would help by developing infrastructure, including and the city would handle zoning and subdivision. Crum says the development will likely also include several acres of green space and a community center. However, she says development is still several years away and the plans are still preliminary. Business owners in Missoula County have a new option to help manage the cost of installing renewable energy systems. County commissioners have voted unanimously in favor of establishing a program that gives commercial property owners the option to repay the cost of renewable energy upgrades through their property taxes. The Community Property Assessed Capital Enhancement Act, that's CPACE, was authorized in Montana during the 2021 legislative session. Types of renewable energy covered include solar panels, water conservation upgrades, more efficient lighting, heating and air conditioning, improved insulation, and electrical vehicle charging stations. The program opens the possibility of low interest rates from banks since the loans are being paid back by the county 
and not the property owner. If you need to hear this report again, please check the podcast on our Treasure State Radio or KGRT-DB webpages. Made in Montana News is podcast worldwide with listeners in 46 U.S. states and Canadian provinces in 24 countries on six continents. Made in Montana News is heard on the Treasure State Radio Network, including KMEH, 100.1 FM in Helena, Elkhorn Mountains Radio in Jefferson County, Homegrown Radio in Bozeman, King West Radio in Billings, and Rescast Radio on the Fort Peck Reservation. We also want to welcome some new friends and listeners to our list of stations. PIVA Radio of the Northern Cheyenne Nation and Crow Res Radio of the Crow Nation. That's Made in Montana News. I'm Jay Scott. This is the Treasure State Radio Network.